Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 246 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, we're going to meet Shelly, who was a member of Flying Free for two years, and she's been a member of Flying Higher for a year this month, I think. One, yeah. It'll be one year this month. And Shelly was married for how many years? 11. 11 this, years. Okay. This recent time. I was okay. married before that too, but. Okay. And how long have you been divorced now? Our divorce was final in February of 2022. Okay. So, so like a, little, a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay. So we're going to find out what her journey was like for her up and out, what that looked like. And at the very end, we'll ask her what kind of advice she might have to offer those of you who are listening or and maybe are on your own journey of discovery and healing. Okay. So Shelly, why don't you tell us, first of all, how and when Maybe we should, I don't know if you want to talk at all about your other marriage. Is it one other marriage besides this one? I can give a little bit on that. I guess it helps for background. So I was married for five years that time. And if if I had had any of this information at that time, my recent marriage never would have happened. But we had two daughters. We separated and then divorced when they were one and four. He was a cheater. (laughs) And so that was another reason why I didn't really look into, I mean, that was just a symptom of the bigger problem, which I didn't realize at the time, like people are more accepting, I think of divorce when there's that kind of stuff going on. And and I, I forgave him the first time and then it had happened again. And I was going to, you know, the girls were so little and I was going to forgive him again because I just couldn't imagine living apart from my children part of the time or, you know, the disaster and chaos that would bring into our family. But then there was, there was all this other stuff underneath and family things that I didn't even know about that came out during our separation and process. And, and he was just so awful during the separation process that I just, yeah, there was no question of forgiving and getting back together and going on like before I just had to do the divorce and and it was horrible, but, and I didn't learn quite enough. <laughs> I didn't learn as much as I should have from that experience. But so that my guess is that you learned what you, you learned what you had at the time available right. to you. Right. Yes. And that's yep. all we can do. Yeah. Yep. How are your girls now? They're great. You know, I feel so bad that I then not only did they have to go every other weekend with their father who was abusive. Then I brought this other abusive man into their life that they had to live with the rest of the time for so many years. And I just, but they are doing so great now. They're 20 and 17 now. And when I separated from my recent ex-husband, my oldest daughter was going off to college and my younger daughter came to me and said, can we change the custody agreement so I don't have to go out to dad's? unless I want to. And because of all the things that he's done since then and her age, you know, she was like 15. Yeah. She must've been 15 at the time. There was no reason for him to fight it. It would have been silly and expensive for him to fight it. And I guess he's still paying off his previous divorces. So we were able to get that changed. (laughs) She is, has been with me full time since then. And she, she does see him, you know, once or twice a month, she'll go out and have dinner with him or even spend the night at his place, but they are just doing great now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So with this second relationship, when did you first start noticing that something was off with this one as well? (laughs) Not soon enough, but the night that we got married, so my girls were four and seven and he had two older children that were 20 and 15 when we got married, his first marriage had been, you know, so he said happy and great and blah, blah, blah. She had, she died seven years before this, just tragically, the kids were 14 and nine when that happened. And, and he had just been single, you know, been a single dad and he'd been a really engaged or so I thought single dad and hadn't done any dating until I came along. And so I, 
but he's nine years older than me. And I just always, we worked together. So I had known him for a few years and I just always looked up to him as being this wise, mature person. And he had had this, you know, successful marriage. They were married for 17 years. And, you know, I had been such a failure at marriage and it just seemed I had renewed my faith and had been working on learning, studying the Bible and just learning more, growing my relationship with God. And I just really felt like this was like a blessing for my obedience that he had brought us together. And it just, I think a lot of people who knew us really supported it too, for the same reasons they felt like it was just a really good fit and it would be wonderful, you know, but the night that we got married, we stayed in a hotel and my best friend from high school had come to town and she stayed at our house. We didn't live together, but we had bought a house like the week before our wedding. And she stayed at the house with the kids and she stayed up late talking to his son who was 15. And she called me the next day. We were going on a family moon, we called it, to Florida for the week after we were married, she called me as we we're like getting in the van to go to the airport and told me that the son had stayed up with her talking and had told her all about how abusive his father was. And she was crying and she was upset. And I was just, I was in total denial. There must be, you know, he's a teenager. He's kind of dramatic. He has you know, he had like these really vivid dreams that he would confuse with reality sometimes. And so I just, I had all these ways of explaining away these little things that happened. And so I was like, you know, he's just a dramatic teenager. It's just not true. It's just, you know, single parenting is really hard. I'm sure there were times that he lost his temper and the son is just like blowing that out of proportion. And yeah, you know, I had, I had a laundry list of excuses for why that would come up. And and all of that makes sense. I just want to say all of that makes total sense. If you, and yes. plus if you've never seen anything, right. How would yeah. you know what to go by? He's very good at presenting his mask of, you know, the perfect Christian man and husband and, you know, the perfect Christian man is humble. So he doesn't think he's perfect. Of course not. He sees others as being better than himself, you know, all that, mm-hmm. all that stuff, I, which I didn't learn until later. But so the beginning, our marriage was just what it was like a fairy tale. It was so wonderful. I was so in love that first year of marriage. It was having that infatuation and also living together and getting used to being married. It was just, it was so wonderful almost all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there would be little things that would happen. So I was expecting that we were going to have, you know, this mature relationship where we could come to each other, we could be honest, and authentic with each other. And we would work together through any problems or conflicts that would come up. And, and certainly there'd be an adjustment period, because we were both single parents who were used to living by ourselves and with children. And so a lot of the little things that happened at first, I just blamed on him being used to being in a position of authority over the people in his house. He just wasn't used to being in a partner relationship where they were equals. And so if he was talking down to me or being condescending, it was just, he'll adjust and we'll work through it. We'll talk through it. Yeah. None of that happened. If I had known Darvo, what Darvo is and what that means at the beginning of this marriage, I, I think I would have recognized that right away. You know, for anyone who doesn't know, it's when you come to your partner with a problem, they deny the problem they attack or accuse you and they reverse victim and offender. And oh my gosh, he is like professional level at that. And I, and I was so willing to accept any responsibility too, because I felt like the deficient partner in the relationship, right? He was wise and mature. So he must know, like, I really just looked up to him to know the right thing to do. And he had been, you know, studying the Bible and he was this really learned Christian. And I can't emphasize enough how much I trusted him and looked up to him and saw him as this wise, mature person who would know the right thing to do and that everything was going to be okay. We would resolve any issues. You know, there's always issues in any relationship. And so I wasn't concerned about that. But every time I would bring up even the smallest thing, I would leave the conversation 
just feeling like less than trash. Like I am such a horrible person. How could I, you know, subject this poor, wonderful man to being married to horrible, horrible me who can't. Yeah. So, yeah. So that happened (laughs) anytime there was any conflict. It, another thing that I have learned now that I didn't know then was word salad. When I read the description of that in the book on verbal abuse that I read, I just cried because it's like, there is a name for what he does. And he, he's very, very smart. I mean, I, he's just a brilliant man. And so he's very good with words. So any conversation we would have, I would end up like so confused, like how did we get here? <laughs> like, yeah. It's something so simple. And now we're talking about these things that happened before and like things I don't even know if they happened. And it just, it would get so confusing that I would just be like, okay, you know, it must be me. I just am not smart enough to understand how to communicate or, you know, it was, it oftentimes came down to me lacking in communication skills. That was a big one. I think a lot of us were told that we couldn't, didn't know how to communicate, but I'm pretty sure that everyone listening to this podcast understands what we're saying. (laughs) Right. Yes. And that was something that was so helpful. There were a few things along the way also that pointed me to that our relationship was maybe abnormal or things were wrong. Like we would have, I asked him one time, we would have great conversations. That's, I think, something people don't understand about abuse is the cycle of it, that we would go months and things would be wonderful, like absolutely wonderful. And I would think, wow, you know, this is what marriage is supposed to be like. This is great. And thank goodness we got through that rough patch a few months ago. And then a few months would go by and it would be so bad, like nothing would go right. And I would think, you know, what happened? to the, just a few months ago, we were in such a good place. Everything was great. How did it get so messed up? And then it would go around again. Everything would be great for months, like maybe even a year. And so tell us, are you going to tell, I hope that what you're going to tell us is like, what were the things that triggered, what were some of the things that would trigger the bad part of the cycle to be start again? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) He's just a very atypical person, very introverted. And so he works overnights. And so if there would be something where he would have to like go interact with people during the day, that would really upset him. And he would take that out on us at home. I mean, he would never say that, but his mood would definitely change in the household. So that was something that could kick off his, yeah, whatever, whatever. I called it the shadow in our relationship, but yeah. Or the kids weren't doing like, you've talked about them thinking they're family are little Lego characters. Mm-hmm. I, towards the end, thought of it as like, he's written a screenplay of his life and we are his characters. And if we don't follow the script, that's when he gets angry and tries to scare us back into our parts, playing yeah. our the characters we're supposed to play, saying the lines we're supposed to say. I love that. That's, that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in that way, trying to control each one of you guys. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's so difficult to explain well, any part of this, any part of this has like this huge, big background story. And I could talk for like two years about it. And you still, if you haven't experienced it, you still wouldn't understand. So what set off those shadow times? It's complicated. And who, I mean, who really knows? Yep, exactly. Share what was going on in his head. (laughs) I was running into that issue, even in writing my book, And trying to explain, like, how do you give, if you just share, you know, I'm not going to write a book about all the bad things that happened in my, my last relationship, but how do you even just share like a few, I had some beta readers say, could you give us some examples? It's like, I could give you a couple of examples and nobody, people would just go, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Or that's like normal normal human. Right. Right. That happens. Exactly. It's, you, it's like, the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that, and I did forgive all those things. It's not, I'm not holding those against him from the past. It's you ask for examples, but yeah, you give someone an example and they can explain it away. Well, I'm exactly. sure it was just whatever, but I think the difference is that they don't take responsibility for it. They don't take yeah. any 
There's no, like if I lose my temper and yell at my kids, I feel bad about that. Right. And I will apologize. Like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have yelled like that. Even if it was, you know, I didn't get enough sleep last night or, you know, I'm not feeling good or whatever the excuses, I still shouldn't have yelled at you. I feel bad. I apologize to them. I know it was something on me that I wasn't supposed to do. And I think that is what's missing. There is okay. never any accountability, personal responsibility, self-awareness, like he was so lacking in self-awareness. Mm-hmm. We would do these questions at the dinner table, you know, like those little question cards where you can talk around the dinner table. And there would be questions like, what's your biggest flaw? Or what do you wish? What do you pray that God would help you with? Things like that. And he would always say, my laziness. And I'd be like, you are the least lazy person <laughs> any of us right. know. He was very rigid in his exercise and counting his calories and never sleeping more than eight hours. And, and he was always go doing studying. He didn't watch TV or sports or any of that. Like he was always, he's honestly the least lazy person you could probably meet. And I would just be like, I know you're trying, he's like trying to, I don't know, something with the kids, but you're not being honest. And that isn't good for them to see that. I, yeah. I never did say that because you know, we were all terrified of him because he was just so unpredictable. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause you do need self-awareness in order to do yes. repair work. He had self-awareness around, maybe he had a propensity to be lazy when he was younger, who knows, but he had awareness around that and worked to fix it, but he refused to gain self-awareness around how his behaviors were impacting his family. Right. And so he Absolutely. wasn't. And so then he wasn't working on it. Okay. So what kinds of things did you try to do to fix it? You know, I'm sure you weren't, my guess is that you weren't like, oh, well, I'll just get another divorce. Usually by the, you know, the second round, it's like, well, I can't get a divorce again. Right. I will do. Yeah. He had promised to do whatever it took to make our marriage great. You know, he had made these promises and he even, he had them posted on the wall in our closet and read through them every day. And he would mark with a little bookmarker, which one he was working on this week. It was things like, I will never turn away from you. And I will, you know, all these great. Yeah. The act that he put on was awesome. (laughs) If he was a person all the time, no one's perfect. It wouldn't have been perfect. That's not what I mean. I mean, it would have been a good, healthy marriage of two, what is garden variety senator sinners. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from that podcast, engaging with someone who harms you, he talks about the differences between the garden variety sinner. And then I think he has like evil people and wicked people. And yeah. So when you try to talk about these incidents, people think you're talking about garden variety sin. And it's like, no, it's not those little selfish things we all do. It's not that it's different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yep. So you probably felt like you had to fix it somehow yes. or, and so yes. what are some of the things you did that didn't work? I read lots of books on communication. I did Bible studies on relationships. I actually even ended up in the mental hospital in like an outpatient program because we would, you know, I would go to him with these things I wanted to talk about or change or whatever. And we would just go around and around again and again. And he could never seem to understand what I was saying. He would always twist it into something else. Mm -hmm. And those things were like building up. So this was probably like third year of marriage. Maybe I was just so weighed down by the anxiety of everything. I had these chest pains and just this, I felt like this huge weight on my shoulders of all these unresolved issues. Like my head was just filled with black clouds. I was always just grumbly and it was just, and finally I couldn't get through to him anything that was going on. And I wasn't like suicidal or anything, but I did want to get away. (laughs) I wanted to escape. I wanted to run away to the woods and never come back. And so I went for an evaluation at the mental hospital and did this outpatient treatment for like a month. And I started on medication for anxiety. And we started seeing a counselor, the two of us together. And she was great. Or so we thought like we both loved her. And I and I was just totally oblivious to anything at this time. You know, I thought it was I thought it was all me. And so we went to counseling. And he is the world's best counseling patient. She the counselor just 
loved him. She, I bet, wished that all her patients were as wonderful as him, especially, you know, the husbands who are usually reluctant to go to counseling. No, he knows all the words. He's read all the books. So he knows all the things to say. And so like the first, we had several issues we just couldn't work through. And the first one, I talked through it. And as long as she was in the room, he could hear me. (laughs) So I talked through one of these little things we were having with his older daughter in Bible study. And and he was like, I 100% agree with you. And I was just like, we have been fighting about this. Well, we never fought, but, you know, arguing, going round and round about this for three months. If you had just listened to me, you would have agreed with me. You know, it was just really, so there were a few smaller things like that, that we were finally able to work through just because when she was there, he had no excuse for not hearing what I was saying, because I'm actually a really good communicator. Shocker. You know what else too? That is a perfect example of gaslighting in a counseling session. Right. Because he's acting like he totally gets it now and is on the same page with you when that's not actually the reality of the situation up until that moment. He's gaslighting the counselor, really. And kind of you, too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that term either or any of. And I never would have suspected that this man who, you know, said that he loved me and our marriage was wonderful and he was always very positive about everything. But yeah, he had the counselor wrapped around his finger. And then I was seeing her individually sometimes too. And I would just ball. And I was just terrified to get the words out for these situations. And yeah, that she didn't notice. And I said things like, you know, he doesn't seem to see me as a real person. And he doesn't seem to hear what I'm actually saying. It's like he's got this script in his head of what I said. And it's always evil. (laughs) Like I would be saying, One of our problems was the older kids would, his older kids would come over because his daughter got married. So they would come over for dinner a couple times a week. And it was great. We had a good time and I I liked them coming over, but it was a lot of work for me, meal planning, shopping, preparing the meal. And then we would eat. And then his rule was we all had to clean up. We all had to work together to clean up. And I suggested, you know, maybe we could leave the kids to do the dishes and clean up the kitchen. And you and I could go for a walk after dinner and spend some time together. And every time I tried to talk to him about that, he would twist it into me saying, I want the kids to be my slaves and do all the work. And I would be like, that's not anywhere near, like I am doing, I'm doing all the work. (laughs) And he was doing the work of going to work to make the money that bought the food. So I felt like we had done our work. Let's, have the kids do some work. Anyway, that was just one of the, just a silly little thing. And it, yep. That's a great example of that. That that. I was trying to work together. I thought I saw him as my partner and I thought he saw me as his partner, but he didn't, we were always adversaries in his mind. Yeah. And that was okay. So what then, when did you decide I want to get out? I can't do this anymore. And I don't care. I'm going to figure this out and get out. (laughs) Well, the pandemic happened. And so, you know, we were living this, he worked week on week off overnights. And the first few years of our marriage, I was working too. I also worked overnights on the opposite nights that he did because we had the same job. Basically, we just did it different nights. And after our son was born, I gradually worked less and less. And then I became a stay at home mom after like four or five years of marriage, maybe. So we had this like, week on week off cycle where he would go to work at like nine o'clock at night. And then the kids and I could relax and be ourselves. Then he would have his week off. And depending on where we were in the cycle, you know, sometimes it was great and we had a lot of fun and sometimes it was not, there was a lot of walking on eggshells. So the pandemic happened and then the kids were home. Like we were all home in the house all the time. And it just, I, had coped by like sort of pretending it's not happening. I tried and tried and tried to do all these things and nothing worked. It only seemed to make it worse. You know, I'm working on myself and it's not getting any better. So I just kind of ignored it and just closed off more and more of myself around him because it was, that was what seemed to make him mad was me being me. And so I just kind of stopped being me. And then the pandemic happened and I was trying to do the distance learning with the kids at home and And if he was around, he was like, 
it's interfering and, and it just escalated. It was like a magnifying glass on the shadow in our house. It just yeah. became huge. And like I said, I had bought all these books on communication and stuff. And I was trying to resolve my family of origin issues, which were supposedly the source of a lot of my problems. And one of the books I had picked up was The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. Mm -hmm. I'd had this book on my shelf for 10 years. And for some reason, I picked it up. And wow, I mean, mind blown. She talks in there about the two realities, like the reality of power over that the partners are living in two different realities. One is in the reality of power over And the other is in the reality of mutuality of a mutual relationship. And they both think that they're both in the same reality and they're not, and they can't see. And it was like kachunk, these puzzle pieces all just fit together. As I looked at our past, it made so much sense. If you looked at all the things that had happened from that kind of reality, like through his eyes, then so much confusion was cleared up like that. I had been beating my head against the wall. This is why I didn't understand because we were never partners. He always saw me as inferior to him. He just knows that those words aren't, you know, you don't say those words as the perfect Christian man. So say that your partner is your partner and your equals. And in fact, they are better than you because consider others better as he had these Bible verses that he would quote all the time. Sure. So that was a big thing, reading that book. And then I started seeing it and I had confronted him about things were just getting worse and worse. We had a weekly date. First, it was a night. And then when the kids were in school, when our sons started school, we started having it during the day. We And we had a marriage journal where we would ask these questions every week. And one of the questions was something like, do we have any unresolved conflict from the past week or something? And I could never answer that, honestly. Like, I could never answer any of the questions, honestly, really. One was like, what are your highs from the week? What are your lows? And if I ever said any lows, well, there was big trouble because we can't ever have any lows. And so I just realized that it was ridiculous that we were pretending to have this relationship and it just wasn't real. It was... And I just did not want to live that way. And so I thought I'll confront him and it will be horrible. We'll have this chaos, but eventually we'll work through this all and we'll come out so much better on the other side with this mutual, wonderful relationship, the way it's supposed to be with like normal problems and not what we actually have. And so I made the mistake that I think a lot of women make is that I told him that I thought he was abusive. (laughs) (laughs) And at first, for about 30 seconds, he was like, what do I do? And I was like, I think you need to see someone and and work on this. And just, I had such hope that, you know, he had always promised that he would do anything to make our marriage better, to make our family great. You know, he was a servant to, and so I had full expectation that he would get help and it would be really hard, but we would get through it together. So that was the beginning. That was like December 2020 when I started waking up to what was really happening, that it it actually wasn't me. And I even, I was looking through my journals a little bit before this meeting and I have like, that is my main question. How much of this is me? And he would say, you know, oh, I'm so hard to deal with. And he just doesn't understand me. He's trying so hard to understand me all the time. If only he could understand my love language. And he would describe what it was like to be in relationship with him. And I thought, I mean, now I know how much people like this project and that it was projection that he was doing. But at the time I was sure I'll fix it. And he told people that, you know, suddenly he was having to walk on eggshells And I was thinking, but the kids and I have been doing that with you for 10 years. (laughs) Nobody cares about that. So that was when he ordered the books on BPD. I talked about that a bit in the forum. So BPD, just for listeners who don't know, is borderline personality disorder. disorder. And that is a very typical thing that gets thrown back in survivors' faces, that they have borderline personality disorder. But the important thing to understand about that diagnosis, which by the way, your husband can't diagnose you with that. You have to see a psychiatrist. For it that was medicine. his family doctor that diagnosed me. That has never oh, met me. He okay. told his family doctor that he'd been walking on eggshells and he suggested, well, maybe she has BPD and you should read these books. So did that doctor meet with you and did no. you do a full psych workup? 
Okay. No. So then and they actually diagnosed you with my, that. With my husband's word for that. It's, it's hard to know yeah. exactly what he did say. Have you ever asked any of these important questions? Why does my marriage hurt so bad, no matter how hard I try to make it better? Who am I anymore? And why do I have so much loneliness and self-hatred inside? What can I do to move forward in my life when I have felt stuck for so long? And where is God in the mess? I've been praying for years and I don't think he's listening anymore. If you're a Christian woman in a confusing and painful marriage who feels like you're spinning your wheels, looping on the same problems week after week, I'd like to help you change that. Six years ago, I developed a program that has helped thousands of Christian women wake up to their reality and live powerfully within it as the adult women God created them to be. The Flying Free program uses transformational coaching, workshops, classes, and a close-knit community of women to support you on your journey. I'm going to help you find answers to all of those questions, answers that make sense and align with your core values so that you can move forward. In 2023, I'll be reteaching all of my classes to reflect the ongoing training, education, and experience I've had working with thousands of survivors over the past six years. So it is a great time to join us. You can get all the details, including reviews, facts, and everything that comes with the program by going to joinflyingfree.com. And I'll see you on the inside. So if you look at the symptoms of BPD and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, there's some crossover in symptoms. And I just want people to understand that because if you go out and Google it or whatever, you will see probably if you are feel like you're going crazy in your relationship, you're <laughs> going to see some of those symptoms of that's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But some of those same symptoms show up in borderline personality disorder as well. The difference is that once you're out of that toxic environment and you're no longer being triggered like that, your symptoms will begin to dissipate. Whereas if you have borderline, if you truly do have BPD, you have that for your whole life and you will have had it long before the relationship ever started. You will have struggled with those symptoms your whole life and you will continue to struggle with them. So anyway, I just want to clarify that. Right. Yeah. And I talked, I talked to my counselor about it and I talked to my daughter's counselor about it because she happened to have one of the books on her shelf when we were meeting with her and they both pointed out that if that's what it was, I would have issues in other relationships or yes. areas of my life, like my yep. job or my friends or like anything else. And I didn't, yep. it was only this one relation. I mean, well, my family of origin, I have some relationships that are problematic. But again, it's not at work. I've never had any of these problems with my friends. I haven't had any of these problems. And so, but really I was all on board with, you know, maybe this is the problem. I was okay with that because I was willing to get help. Like I want to do whatever, do whatever, check me into the mental institution. I'll stay there for years. And I just wanted to stop hurting the kids. You know, I, if it's me, if there's something I can do, I want to do it. I had no pride about it. I, okay, BPD, great. Maybe that's what the problem is. Let me, you know, fix it. But that's not what the problem was. So I, yeah, I had Googled and and looked at the books that he, and I was like, it just doesn't sound like me. I just can't see myself or fit myself into any of that. So. Which makes you feel even crazier, right? Yes. I went through it's, you know, I just don't really think about that time so much now, but yeah, I, there was a lot of highs and lows, ups and downs, just feeling totally crazy. Like I must be crazy. Like what am I doing? I'm, and everyone is so supportive of him. How can all those people be wrong? Cause they know me, they don't really know him because nobody really knows him. He doesn't really go out and have relationships like normal people do. But I did. I was involved in church. I was, I worked in the confirmation program. I was building this. So I thought I was building this community. We had a small group. And so like I had these relationships, I thought that were built to help us. If another couple in our small group was struggling in their marriage, I would want to jump in and help. Like, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, Can I just jump in and say something really quick here? Because this is just a strategy. I see so many survivors, especially towards the end when they're trying to get help, trying to explain things. They're an open book. 
just completely yes. honest, making themselves yeah. very vulnerable. They're basically opening up their heart to everybody in hopes that everyone will see the problem. And you said, mm-hmm. but they don't know him. They don't know the abuser right. because the abuser is a closed book. The abuser is hiding the abusers. So the strategy is those of you who are listening, you can do this or not, but I, if I had it to do all over again, I would totally do this instead of what I did instead of like being vulnerable and opening myself up. I would offer no explanations for anything. I would offer no information about anything in our relationship. I would simply say I'm getting out of this relationship. And if people said, well, you can't do that, or what are you doing wrong or whatever? I would just be like, I can't, I cannot tell you it is so painful. I I cannot say anything. That's all I would do. I'd be very cryptic because the less people know, as you can see, the less people know, the more they're supportive and will jump to the, these better conclusions than if you're freaking out and being all, you got to help me. You got to help me. They're going to go with the person who's not, who's being very cryptic and not really saying anything. And I'm not saying go, that's not abusive to be like that. It's just basically saying, you know, I have my own boundaries. This is not your business. Whether or not I separate or file for divorce is nobody's business, but mine. And maybe a few very close friends that have shown me over the course of many years (laughs) that I can trust them and they have my back. And that's it. The rest of you can just sit and wonder what's going on. You can judge me. You can think whatever horrible things you want, but this is what I'm doing. Yeah. They won't understand. No matter yeah, how, they much won't. Time, how many words you pour out trying to explain it, they won't understand unless they have lived it. Exactly. And then even, even the people who have lived it, they have their own issues. They might be jealous that you think you can get out and they don't feel like they can get out. Yes. And oh they my gosh. Will I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yes. Yes. Just there's that meme where it's like trying to explain is it covert abuse or narcissistic abuse to someone? And it's the big chalkboard with all the formulas on it, you know? And it's like, (laughs) yes, I could talk about this for years. And you still, if you haven't experienced it, you just wouldn't believe that someone would do that, would be like that. So I think we're talking about how did I realize? It started with reading that book. I confronted him and all that. I mean, he started sending me emails. He started sitting at the kitchen table and typing out these eight page long things of this and that and why, basically why it was all my fault and not his. And I eventually just started deleting his emails because they were just, there's the words like he just salad. Yes. And he always, that's what he always did was just like drown me with these words and they don't even make sense. And so there was that he started seeing a counselor and one of my requirements for, you know, us ever getting to marriage counseling again was him having, you know, years of abuser treatment and me talking to the counselor to make sure he was being honest about what was happening. And so he started seeing this counselor and yeah, he was not honest about what the problem was at all. Like he showed up to our first date day after his seeing his counselor and he's like, he had this like list he wanted to talk to me about. And he's, and I don't remember what the first thing he said was, but I was like, well, but that isn't the problem. And he stopped talking. Then he didn't say another word to me for the rest of lunch. And I, in the past, I would have been terribly wounded and I would have tried to manage his feelings and, you know, all the things. And I just enjoyed my lunch and was like, (laughs) I love it. So you were detaching. Um, That's so amazing. Yeah. And so I did meet with his counselor first and talk to him. And he's a very sweet man. Like he really is a humble Christian man. And there's in our town, there's a counseling center that is Christian. They're not those biblical counselors you hear about. They're actually licensed counselors who also happen to be Christians. Okay. And so a lot of people from our church and stuff go there. And that's where my counselor was too. And she talked about leaving him and getting a divorce the first time that I saw her. So I was like, oh, okay. But she had experience with that. These guys, they don't change. Of the hundreds of women she had counseled, she knew two guys who had actually done the work and changed. And it was only after they got divorced. So one was divorced for five years and one for three. And they had gone through the whole 
come to Jesus moment. And it was like a crisis of faith. And then they did the hard work of becoming a safe person. And then they started dating again. And then they got remarried after years. Wow. Uh, So, but she said, you know, 99% of them will not change. And so I also, I had a few other things. Oh, so that had happened in December. In February, we had another confrontation where he brought me something for Valentine's Day. And he had, previous to that, he had accused me of never saying thank you when he brought me gifts. And I was like, that's really strange because I'm not, that's not me. Like, I'm not an ungrateful person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he would like come home from working overnight and we wouldn't be up yet. So he would leave it for me to find. So I wonder, is he thinking about those times or did, or is it just this person he's created in his head? Cause that's the thing about a person like this is you're only as good as your previous, your last interaction with them. Like you don't build, even after 11 years of marriage, we don't have anything built because you're not a real person. So you don't, he doesn't build this understanding of you. So if he wants to see you as evil, then you're evil, no matter what you've done for the last 10 years. And so that's suddenly now I'm evil all the time where before I had only been evil every now and then when he chose. But so in April, we both started seeing counselors and his had no clue what was actually going on in May, since it was the end of the pandemic, my sister, her husband and their son came and stayed with us for a while. They had moved several States away for her job. And, you know, I kind of warned her things aren't the greatest here. I don't know if you want to stay here, but their son is medically fragile and he has needs for like counter space and a bathroom attached to their bedroom for their cares that they do for him. And so our house was just really the only relative they had that was set up in a good way to take care of him. And they hadn't been home for during the whole pandemic. So a long time. So they stayed for three weeks because she's a professor. So she was off for the summer. And while they stayed with us and they'd sort of used our house as a home base and went and saw people and stuff, three whole weeks, there was no incidents. And we did a lot of the things that usually set him off. Like we watched movies and people talked during the movies. He did not have a tantrum. We, you know, there was like background things going on or people spoiled what was going to happen in the movie that all these things were very important to him. And three weeks we went with no tantrums, no nothing. And it really brought home the fact to me that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, He knows it's wrong and he is totally in control of it. Yep. And those were all things all this time when he had always said, you know, when I would, we talked about his anger hundreds of times over the 10 years. And he would always say, Oh, I just, I have this dad scowl. I have this bad scowl. It just makes me look angry when I'm not, or, you know, I have a dad voice. And so I sound scary or whatever. And funny how none of that came out those whole three weeks that they were there. And it had never been that long before going without a thing. So I just realized he's lying. Yeah. (laughs) He's lying about all of it. He knows he is using his anger to scare us, to control us, just like I thought. And it's not me. (laughs) So that was in May and it was in June that I finally moved out. Like from December to June, this time we were supposed to be, you know, he was supposed to be getting help and blah, blah, blah. He was just totally focused on me. He was writing in his journaling, all these things, everything I did and said or didn't do, didn't say that he thought I should. And finally, I was just like, okay, I'm going to move out for a few months because you can't seem to stop focusing on me and what I'm doing. And you need to focus on you and what you're doing. None of my friends were supportive of us separating because we weren't in-house separated. We were still in the same bed as they called it. And it's just the way our house is set up. I just couldn't see a way for us to do it in our house that wouldn't, because one thing he had always done, like to punish me when I wasn't behaving was he would suck the kids towards him. He would hoover the kids into him. So if I wanted to spend any time with the kids, I had to spend time with him. I couldn't have the kids without him. So he would like, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to buy these snacks. Like he is total Disney dad all the time. And so he would just do that. And it would be like, okay, I can choose. If I try to distance myself from him, 
he sucks the kids to him so that I have no choice. Yeah. So that was another reason I just wanted to move out. And I just didn't feel safe. Like he mentioned doing the, you know, what they call the nesting where the parents take turns staying at the house with the kids. Yeah. And I was like, no, I want at least one locked door between us. I, I, I did not feel safe around him knowing how much he had been lying for so long about so many things. I mean, there was obviously there's all this other stuff that came up and things that he had lied about and like, what is true? What of anything of her life is true? You know, there's just a lot of these mental and emotional crises as you're going through this. Tell us what, cause I know you had a small child between you two, correct? Well, he was nine by this time. Okay. Eight or so nine. Then what happened with him once you moved out? When I moved out, I assumed it would be temporary. I still was assuming that he would get help and we would stay married and everything would work out eventually. Yeah. And so I just went with the we the week on week off schedule that he so he would have our son when he wasn't working and I would have him when he during his work week. So it was week on week off. In hindsight, I maybe would have done that a little differently because yeah, anyway, it's so hard deciding all that kind of stuff is so hard. But so I just assumed he was coming with me half the time. And so he had a bedroom. I moved into an apartment and I know it can be dangerous to leave the house, but I didn't see him doing any of that. You know, he's very abnormal or atypical, I should say, of a guy whose wife is leaving him for being abusive when it comes to that sort of stuff. Like I didn't see foresee there being any trouble with that. And there wasn't. So we did week on week off. And of course my daughters came with me. And when I did move out, I took everything I would want just in case if things didn't get any better, I didn't want to have to go back while he was there and like pack up the rest of my stuff or separate the rest of the stuff coming in as two like adults who had already had separate adult lives, it made separating things probably easier than it is for a lot of women. But yeah, I took, I went through our storage room and I took my Christmas ornaments and, and everything so that I would not have to go back if things didn't get any better. And they, they didn't. Okay. So during this time, I think you joined flying free I joined Flying Free in April of 2021, which is right about the time I had read the verbally abusive relationship and I had started seeing a counselor. The first counselor I saw was just by Zoom because it was in the pandemic and I didn't really like that. I just didn't feel like I could talk freely in the house. I was just, I was always so afraid of him. And so I really wanted to see someone in person. And then like the next month is when I got in with the counselor in person. But that's another thing that made me realize it was time to get out. It was, it was Easter weekend and it was his work week. So he was at work that weekend and the weekends that he worked, the girls were with their dad. So it was just me and our son and I'm driving through the neighborhood and all the other houses have all these cars in front where these families are getting together for the holiday, you know, and not at our house. (laughs) Our house was like a black pit of nothingness. And I just, realized because he had pushed his older kids away. Once he had me as his supply, he didn't really need them anymore. And so the oldest one moved away. And then the younger one, he had an apartment in our town, but he never, I mean, not even for holidays, he would come over. Not at all. This is the one that talked to your friend before you got married. Yeah. Yes. He is very aware of what his dad is really like. And so he just he never, there was never like a big blow up or anything where he's like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. He just wouldn't, he just wouldn't come over. He just would be like, oh yeah, things are going great. And just, yeah. The smart kid. Low contact without really making a big deal about it. Yeah. And I just saw our house is like this black pit. And as the kids get older, he's going to push them all away. And I'm going to end up here alone with him in this black pit. And uh, no, I didn't, did not want that. I, and you know, I was just waking up to everything else and I just joined flying free and the forum was so helpful to me because suddenly there's all these people who understand what I'm talking about. You know, I'd been talking myself blue in the face with my friends and they just didn't get it. And here are all these women who get it. Not only that, there was someone who talked about her husband comparing himself to Is it Hosea that has to marry the prostitute Mm -hmm. in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, my husband does that too. Like marrying a divorced woman to him was yeah. making him like Hosea having to marry a prostitute. And he's the and, hero, right? Yeah. And you're, See, and you're the and then another good. woman said her husband did that too. So there was three of us who had that same <laughs> weird specific. And it was like, you know, it was just another assurance that, you know, it isn't me. Yeah. And, and all right. this struggling I'd been doing all these years to try and make things better has just been banging my head against the wall because it isn't me. Yeah. Yeah. So how did flying free, how did the programs more specifically help you as you walk through your divorce process and your. Right. Well, there's, for those that don't know the flying free program, there's the forum where you can talk to other women who are in different, lots of different places along the journey. And some of them are staying and that's always a choice too. Like you don't have to join the program. If you're leaving your husband, you can join the program and just find better ways to stay safe with your husband. So the forum and then the classes, I had been through a divorce before, but the divorce class was still really helpful for me. And just identifying abuse. So many people, I think so many people think they know what abuse is and they do not. Like it's not the incidents. It's not the black eyes or the holes in the wall. The physical violence is just one of the tools that abusers use. The abuse is the entitlement that someone feels to control someone else. And I, you know, I never would have called what I was going through abuse. Never, never. Because he did physically threaten me a couple of times, but he never actually hit me. And so just learning through the classes, what abuse actually is, what it really looks like in real life, and just why it's so hard for other people to understand. Like it's meant one of their ways of controlling you is keeping you off balance and confused. Like they are purposely trying to confuse you because it keeps you under their control. And they just like feed off that chaos for some reason. I don't understand it, but that was really helpful. And also learning, getting access to other resources like that video from Bob Hamp about abuse that's Mm -hmm. in one of the first classes. It's like an hour long, but it was so such a good, helpful explanation of the dynamics behind abuse, what it really is, what it really looks like. And I shared that with some friends and I don't know how helpful it was to them, but for me, that was so helpful. Mm -hmm. Access learning about other resources. That's I think so helpful for anyone who's in this situation. You feel so alone and you try to talk to like normal people and they, they all give this terrible advice of like, you know, you should go see a counselor. But then you, when you read about people who actually understand abuse, you know, they say, don't go to a counselor with an abuser. It only will make it worse. And boy, is that true? Yeah. Okay. So then you got your divorce. How long did your divorce, how long did it take from the time you filed till you finished? Like a month and a half. What? Okay. That is unheard of. I said that he was atypical and he really was. I think, you know, he puts on that, that mask of the perfect Christian man and the perfect Christian man would never try to screw his wife in divorce. He would give her a great that's And so that's what he did. Just getting the lawyers, having any other person around to witness what was going on made him totally mask up and be perfect. And so having two lawyers involved, he had to be perfect. And so, and I had learned from my past divorce that no matter what you do, people will criticize you and they'll say things that aren't true. And so I just, this time I was going to get what my fair share was. I was not going to try to whatever, all the things I did before giving him everything just so I could get away. Like, I'm not doing that this time. I had asked several times over the 11 years we were married to put, you know, I was a stay at home mom for seven or eight years, put retirement in my name. And he would always say, we don't need to do that. We have enough in my name for both of us. It's no problem. And so I was going to take my fair share. I gave up all these years of my prime earning years to be a stay at home mom and to support, you know, him and our family. And I loved it. That's not anything bad, but I think, I took what was, I felt my fair share. And I'm sure a lot of people don't, didn't, wouldn't agree with that. Well, I think there's people in the forum even that have expressed, I feel who are going through divorce and are like, well, I feel so guilty if I take my fair share. Take your fair share. Be as fair to yourself as you are trying to be to him. Exactly. No one is going to treat you that way. 
Right. You have to treat you that way. Right. Yeah. Right. I always tell people, think about what you would want for your daughter. If your daughter yes. was in a relationship like this, would you want her to get her fair share? Or would you tell her you should feel really guilty for wanting to get your fair share? I think you should give more to your abuser and you should do with less. We, we yeah. would never say that to our child, but no. we say that to ourselves because of our view, because we just view ourselves as not worthy of having what we worked for. Yeah. And I think we're trying to avoid the people saying, oh, she, you know, the gold yes. stuff and the, you know, especially since he was 45 and I was 36 when we got married. And so I'm sure there was a lot of that. Like you don't stay with someone for 11 years and plan to, you know, grow old with them. But I would just, I mean, anyone who says anything like that, it's not true. And I know that deep down in my heart. So yeah. I don't anyone else says, but I did care before. And it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that I took all the debt, gave him all the assets. I still was, you know, called, he still told everyone that I screwed him and blah, yep. blah, blah. And so I was like, this yep. time, I'm just going to do what's best for me. What's fair for me, not even. Right. What's you know? just and right. Right. Yep. A fair and settlement. Whoever wants to say whatever, good for them. That's amazing. So this brings up a good point as far as like the fact that your husband, his flavor of abuse was if you profiled him, he's the guy who's going to show up and do what makes him look really good to everybody else. And so you can play when you know that when you when you really know your flavor, the flavor of your husband you can actually use that and strategize with that when you're think coming up with a settlement agreement or you're figuring out custody or whatever. And that is one of the, I actually updated the divorce course since you've been in flying free. I completely renovated it. And one of the classes now in there is basically profiling your abuser mm -hmm. so that you can figure out based on the past and what you've observed of him over the course of however many years, how is he most likely to show up in a separation or in a divorce? And then how can you strategize based on the most likely scenarios that you might come across? So yours is like knowing that about him really played out in your favor. And yeah. I think it's amazing that you were able to get divorced in a month and a half. Yes. Okay. So then you, now you're, you've been in flying higher for a year. Why don't you tell people who don't know flying higher? I don't really talk about that as much because it's mostly a, it's mostly something we do on the back end for people who have gone through flying free, they get divorced. And then it's like, there's a whole another ball of wax of problems that comes into play as far as rebuilding your life, rebuilding your relationships, maybe getting out and dating. And so I started flying free about three years ago to kind of provide a landing place when they go down the chute <laughs> and into divorce. So I don't talk about it as much on the podcast, but why don't you, for anyone who is maybe divorced or thinking about getting divorced, why don't you tell your experience with flying higher? Or maybe you were, maybe you didn't do, do it very much. I don't know. I haven't really dived into the courses in flying higher the way I did with flying free. When I was just in that beginning stage, you're just kind of like hit me in the face with the fire hose of all this stuff. You know, I need to, I need to learn. And so I always mean to, but it gets, you know, to the bottom of the list yeah. of things to do. So I still plan to do that, but I have done, or I try have tried. <laughs> I haven't succeeded fully to participate in the book studies I've done parts at this. The pace is just, I just haven't been reading the way I used to. I used to read a lot, but there's the book studies, excellent books, really recommendations on. And something I'm really interested in is just having better relationships going forward, never getting into this kind of relationship again, not, not even like dating, but friends or, and especially just being a better parent to my children too. So important to me. I, I want to model what a healthy adult should look like and healthy adult relationships. And so I think that that is really helping not only the book studies and the meetings, and I'm sure the classes would help when I finally get to them. But yeah, I was going to say the classes too. all address all of those things those that you things. are looking forward to. You I'll know, get there. I'll yeah. get there. <laughs> I think you'd love them. The all right. You know, the other flying higher ladies, just hearing their experiences and just having someone who understands to even just vent to. I don't even need 
any reply from you, just let me vent about this thing that I can't share with people who just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's leave the listeners with maybe your best piece of advice or pieces of advice. If they are thinking about getting out, which is a terrifying thought for a lot of them. Yes. I went through several things. It's hard to pick just one. I think I've shared the be fair to yourself already. So I would say, don't expect help from your friends and family the way you think you can, because no one will understand. So don't be surprised when they're not as supportive as you would like, or as you need, you can find support in other places. It's going to be hard, but you can do hard things. Good. John 16.33 has always been one of my favorite Bible verses. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus promises us trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. Another thing is, you know, leaving, it can feel like burning your whole life to the ground, basically. But even if you lose your friends and family, there's 8 billion people on this planet. You will find new people. You'll find new relationships. You will build that back up. I mean, it's hard. It is walking through fire, but it's it's worth it to have the freedom on the other side, just to be yourself. God created you to be who you are, to be yourself. And if you have to hide that, that's not what God wants from you. He made you to express who you are to the world. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, I really appreciate your being willing to visit with me and share your story with us. Shelly. And I think that's it. We're just going to wrap it up right there. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, beautiful butterfly. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and then consider leaving a rating and review so others can find us. To connect with me and get a free chapter of my book, head over to flyingfreenow.com. And until next time, fly free.